grab your Bibles and turn in your Bible to the New Testament, to Paul's letter to the Colossians. In my Bible, it's on page 983. I don't know about you, but um, that's where I'm at. We're going to read the first two verses as we begin a series this fall and probably into early next year, working through this little letter that Paul wrote to this church, a little church in a city called Colossae. It's an incredible letter. I want to say that again. This little letter, four chapters long, is incredible because it draws our attention to an incredible God who has done an incredible thing through an incredible Savior that has incredible implications on our lives, individually and as a church. So we're going to consider it together. Colossians chapter 1, verses 1 and 2 this morning. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers and sisters in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. You know, simple words to start a letter, but they are deep and they are loaded with meaning and joy and hope. And so as we come to them, God, would you help us be with us as we hear your word, be in the preaching, the hearing, the receiving, the believing, your glory and to our good. In Christ's name, amen. The wonders of what God accomplished for you through the gospel never cease. Say that again. The wonders of what God has accomplished for you through the gospel, never cease. What was accomplished in the person and work of Jesus Christ, proclaimed as good news in what we call the gospel, and applied supernaturally, mind you, to us by the power of the Holy Spirit, that wonder cannot be exhausted in this life. And guess what? can't be exhausted in the next. All of eternity won't exhaust the wonders of what God has done for us in the gospel. So I ask, you live your life now with this big, awe-inspiring vista of God's grace in the gospel. Do you see the ordinary, your ordinary in light of a supernatural rescue by means of a sovereign, he's overall triune. There's three in one, God, Father, and Spirit. They were all involved. Gracious God. Do you live individually and as a church as if you have been given the greatest treasure in all of history, time, and space? My hope is that you will begin to see the gospel, an expansive, heart-transforming, head-informing, life-conforming ways as we begin our series in Colossians. I titled the series Treasuring Christ because he's really at the center of all of God's purposes in all of history. And he's at the center of all that Paul is bringing out to this church that he is writing to. And so my hope is that we would go about treasuring Christ. It is shorthand for a life radically rescued and transformed 
by a sovereign and gracious God through the person and work of Jesus Christ. Both words, treasuring and Christ, matter. Both words have deep wells of gospel-rich water. So my hope in these weeks and months ahead is that we will draw up bucketfuls starting today. And so there we are. Opening words of a letter that uh, seem like any other letter that you've read in the Bible and you just kind of breeze through it. Raise your hand if you're guilty of reading through it and just breezing through the opening of a letter. I see those hands. You're honest. Everyone else, you either don't read your Bibles. Well, we can get on that. Or you're not being honest. So either way, you're, you're, I saw it. So anyway. (laughs) But these words are actually quite rich. What we find in the opening of this letter is something most incredible. What it means, ultimately, to be identified with Christ. It's even there, just as Paul starts his letter. It's there in these words that just seem customary, just ordinary, normal headings of a letter that you would write. But there, I want us to see how what it means to be identified with Christ matters To be identified with Jesus has radical implications on understanding who we are. Even in the beginning of the letter when Paul really hasn't gotten into anything yet. We can see that we have a new purpose, a new identity, and a new reality. All because of what God has done for us in Christ. You and I can can sit here in this room in the midst of our brokenness, in the midst of our shame, in the midst of whatever may have been our story. And if we are now in Christ, we have a new purpose, a new meaning, a new identity, a new reality, a new life. And this letter unpacks it. And Paul starts us off there. So let's consider this together, even in this introduction, even in this greeting to this letter all that Paul is wanting us to grasp, all that God, through the inspiration of the Spirit, wants us to grasp. So let's consider to be in Christ means we have a new purpose. There's gospel purpose to Paul's opening in his letter. It is saying something big about God, and it gives us something to be on the lookout for in terms of these great things that God has done for us. Look at those opening words. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, By the will of God. By the will of God, there is a new purpose in the life of Paul. Paul identifies himself as an apostle of Christ Jesus. He is saying at the beginning, introducing himself, reintroducing himself to this church as an apostle of Christ Jesus. That means he has a new position. He is an apostle. He's a sent one. He's been commissioned by the resurrected Jesus to go do a gospel work in the world. He has a new purpose in life. And he belongs not to himself, not to his dreams, not to his ideals, not to his heritage. He belongs to Jesus Christ. This new position, a sent one commissioned by resurrected Jesus to do a gospel work, This new reality, this new position of being in Christ is not because Paul merited it, that he worked up the, at the time, evangelical celebrity ladder. 
It came about by the will of God. Some of you know the backstory to Paul, the author of this letter. You can find the, the real meaty parts of it in Acts chapter 8 and 9. At the time, Paul's name was Saul. And he was the who's who of the, the, the very, very works righteous Jewish pharisaical sect. And in, in Acts chapter 8 verse 1, we see that Saul, who is Paul, was present and giving the nod of approval of the martyrdom of Stephen, who just gave this incredible, radical, redemptive, historical gospel sermon before a crowd and then was killed. And Paul was there, kind of like a Roman emperor, giving the thumbs up on his fate. Then just a few verses later, we have this description of Paul's, at the time Saul, his ministry. This was his ministry. Listen to this carefully. But Saul was ravaging the church, entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Did you hear that? He committed violent acts against the church. He ravaged the church. He entered in house to house. These were homes. He just burst in with the authority necessary and the arms necessary to then drag off people to prison. But then something happened to him. A greater power than he burst into his life. In Acts 9, you read about the resurrected Christ obliterating him to the ground with his grace and his mercy. One commentator, Greg Beale, put it this way. That Paul's apostleship is grounded in the authoritative call of the resurrected Christ. He became an apostle through the working of God's powerful will and not through his own independent decision making. We know what he was about before this radical grace and mercy burst into his life. He was rescued and given new purpose. Think about that for a second. God powerfully brings new purpose to those in broke down ash heaps. God powerfully brings new purpose to the easily amused, always bored, apathetic nothings. God brings new purpose into the life of those of whom he rescue. And that means something to us right now. This means something to you right now, no matter your age or your stage in life. You're not too old or too young to come to grips with the fact that God brings about a new purpose in your life. No sin is too dark or hard for God to not powerfully overcome in you. 
No brokenness is too broke or too twisted up for God to not powerfully call you into a life filled to the brim with a new purpose. No boredom is too banal for you. For God to not burst into your heart the wonder-searing light of His gospel and grace. If you belong to God through faith in Jesus Christ, your life. Yes, you, a nobody in Nashua or its region. You have a brand new life given to you by the king of the cosmos. You ever think of it like that? I wonder sometimes what Paul felt in his heart when he starts off a letter, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus. What are the images that flowed through his head, his, his younger years? And then that radical rescue. It filled his heart with awe and wonder. God has given him a new purpose. The same is true for you. If you belong to God through faith in Christ, you have a brand new purpose in life. You have been rescued from the dead. You have been given a new lease on living. You have been given meaning and purpose that outlives the days of your life here on this earth. And maybe you, right now in this moment, you're sitting here hearing those words and you are battling discouragement or doubt or even despairing about the circumstances that you know are waiting for you when this clock clicks over to when I'm supposed to be done and we sing and then I'd get up and we do a benediction and then you leave and those doors open and life is waiting for you right there. And you're wondering, well, I don't know about this. I want to say to you, do you not know what you have in Christ? You have a new purpose. 2 Corinthians 5.15 says, For those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for Him for who their sake died and was raised. That you would live for Him. And you may wonder, what then is this new purpose in Christ? How might we live for Him? If I have been rescued and my context is what it is, how do I go about living for Him in the midst of that? How do I go about treasuring Him and all that I have in Christ in the midst of a hard world or a harsh world or a boring world? How do I go about living for Him? I want to just offer somewhat of a thought process to work your heart through on a daily endeavor. First, I would say, how do we go about living this new purpose of treasuring him, treating Jesus as if he really is the greatest treasure in all of the earth? First, you go about delight, delighting in him. Grow at knowing Him more and more through the Word. Grow at knowing Him more and more through the gathering of the church. And go about preaching the gospel to yourself daily. 
Delight in what you have in Christ. It transcends circumstances. Brings joy in the midst of sorrow. Focus your head, your heart on delighting in Christ. Secondly, declare. Make much of Him in what you say and how you say it. Have an aim to boast in Jesus. Even if life is hard and harsh or boring, boasting in Jesus, boasting in what you have, boasting in worship, boasting in community, boasting in mission. The Bible talks about boasting in one of two ways. Bad boasting and good boasting. Bad boasting is when you talk about you. Good boasting is when you talk about Jesus. Declare the good boast of what you have in Christ. Sing heartily when you're with God's people. When you're sharing your life with each other in coffee shops or living rooms or workplaces. Don't just live in the casual Press in with what you have in Christ. And then thirdly, delight, declare, display. Our manner of living is to be a reflection of the one who has rescued us. Romans 8.29 says that God has a purpose for you. And that purpose is that you would be conformed to the image of of his son. That you would be conformed to the image of His Son. That your life would be an ever-increasing displaying of the character of Christ. So delight in Him. Get to know Him. Declare Him. Announce Him. Speak of Him. Speak of all that God has done for you. And as the Spirit works in you, and as your life grows, you will display more and more the character of Christ. You have a new purpose. And at the center of that purpose isn't necessarily you living for you, but you living for your King, your Redeemer, your brother, your friend, Jesus, the treasure. That leads us then to the second thing we see in the introduction to Paul's letter, just the greeting intro. We not only see that there's a new purpose, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, we see secondly a new identity. Look at verse 2. To the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. To the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. And this is what's so radical and so overwhelming. You are not what you were. Whatever you were before Christ, you are not that. You are not what you were. You are what you are now. And what you are now in Christ is a saint. A faithful one. In Him. These are such good words. Note how Paul addresses the church. To the saints and faithful, brothers and sisters, in Christ at Colossae. Saints are holy ones, ones set apart. Faithful means that inward trust that's evident in the outward act of life, that your life is on the outside is changing because of this inward trust in Jesus that's transforming you. And then your brothers and sisters, you're no longer orphans alone in this world without God and without hope, but rather you have been rescued, you have been brought near, and you have been brought into a family. This is who you are. Because God has graciously and mercifully done this powerfully by His will. 
And then he says at Colossae. That means in a real place, in real time, a real location, a real context. This isn't just ethereal, like philosophical, like just floating around in the world of ideas that, that it actually has tangible, earthly, curb-level, street-level application in the way that we live. One commentator put it this way, spiritual location, that is in Christ, affects how you live out your life in your physical location. You are a rescued one, set apart to live for King Jesus. You belong here in Trinity in the context of Nashua. And God cares about the grand scope of that and the brick and mortar of Nashua. Every aspect of your life. And for us, this new identity gets sort of wrapped up in those two little words, in Christ. In Christ. If you underline things or highlight things in your Bible, put a little box around that, a little bracket. Whatever you got to do to draw your attention to those two little words, it's one of the most neglected mega doctrines in the Bible. It's union with Christ. That means being in Christ means that you are no longer in your own identity, that is, of your own sin and your own brokenness and your own beat-downness, you are now in Christ's identity. So that, so that all that is Christ is yours. That means the perfect, righteous standing before God is yours. Because you are in Christ. And that stuff that was what you once were, no longer is because Christ took it all for you. He took on all the shame and washed it clean. He took on the debt and paid it full. He took on it all and made you whole. So now you are in Christ means everything to you. Like there aren't two better words the only two words in the Bible that come as equal to in Christ would be but God. That's another one to go chase down. Every time you find a but God, read everything before it. Because it will describe your life. Then read everything after it. Because it shows what God does. In Christ, same way. Being in Christ, get this. Being in Christ has infinite and eternal value and worth to you. Infinite, no limits. You can't like put a perimeter fence around it. You cannot find the end of it. It's infinite. Eternal, time doesn't even stop it. His value and all that you have in Jesus has infinite and eternal value to you. No longer are you identified with the stain and shame of your sin. To be in Christ means the stain and shame of your sin have been taken on by Jesus. And while we might experience earthly consequences for our sin, and shame may be a daily battle for you, to be in Christ means that you have been washed whiter than snow. No longer identified with enmity or fierce opposition and rebellion to God, Sin brings enmity, Genesis 3, but God brings peace through Jesus. Romans 5, 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, 
we have peace with God. Sin brings a war. God brings peace through His Son. And that peace is both legal, like before a judge, and relational, like peace within a relationship. You get both in Christ. And you're no longer identified with the shackles of slavery to sin because Jesus burst you free. We often debate the notion of human freedom, and I get the debate. But really, the raw, painful reality is no one is actually free. Prior to Christ, we're all slaves to sin. Romans 3 says, there ain't anybody, it doesn't say ain't, but there ain't anybody who seeks after God. Not one. I don't think we actually truly grasp how radical this new identity is. Especially the idea of being freed from our sin. Do you know that there are old saints alive today who grew up under the horrific conditions of Jim Crow laws? And when they were young, there were old saints alive in their day that grew up and lived under the horrific conditions of slavery. That's not that far removed. Listen to them speak about freedom. Hear the songs that they sing. The books that they wrote. The prayers that they cried. Christ sets us free from a harsher master in sin. If we even had a taste of how truly remarkable that freedom is, we would sing it always. This is your new identity, friends. And I know we all struggle with identity. What struggle with identity issues do you face right now? Do you struggle with shame? Do you struggle with rebellion? Do you struggle with shackles? How are you facing that struggle? Are you trying to do this in your own strength? Are you trying to drown it out with Netflix? Are you doing nothing? What can you do? Well, I know this may be overly simple, but I want to give you something practical here. Take the time, open up your Bible in the New Testament and go look for all the little in Christs that you find. Note the amount. Pay attention to the context. Look at the content of those prepositional gospel treasures of in Christ. And then take them, collect them, gather them, and preach them to your heart. Pray that God would press them into your heart. And then pass them on to others. Combat the struggle with identity, with the truth of what God has done for you in Christ. And that leads us to the last point. A new reality. Look at the last part of verse 2. Grace to you and peace from God our Father. The new reality that we live under is one of grace and peace. Paul, guess what? Paul begins and ends his letter with grace. In Colossians 1-2, he says grace to you. In Colossians 4-18, guess what he says? Grace be with you. There are several important things to note here. First is the only way to experience grace and peace is to be in Christ. And the only way in Christ is through faith. Believing that Jesus alone is sufficient and enough for salvation. 
We don't bring anything to the table but our need and our brokenness. And Christ does it all. Our faith in Christ is our means by which we experience grace and peace in this life. So it is important to note that the only way to experience grace and peace is to be in Christ. And the only way in Christ is through faith. Secondly, the only reality in Christ is one of ongoing grace and peace. That you positionally before God will always be experiencing ongoing grace and peace. That means you never graduate from grace. You never run out of your need for peace. Maybe you've lived the Christian life as like, oh, God did the rescuing work, but now I got to keep me rescued. And if I don't keep me rescued, then I'm going to lose what God has rescued me to. And I want to say to you, that is a burden that you cannot carry. It will gnaw away at your soul. It will discourage you. It will make you anxious. It will make you angry. You'll start comparing yourself to others and you'll become judgmental. It will beat you down. Colossians 2, 6 and 7. Just as you have received Christ, so walk in Him. How did you receive Christ? By grace. How are you to walk in Him? By grace. And this is no bait and switch. God showers us with a grace sufficient for our lives. And he doesn't work like a drug peddler. He doesn't get you hooked on grace on the front end and then he makes you work for it like some bloodthirsty tyrant. He gives you grace upon grace because you are in Christ, who is the manifestation of grace upon grace. Do you know what it says in John 1.16? From him, his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. So friends, understand rightly the new reality that you live under. Believe rightly about the gospel. Delight, declare, display it. Depend wholeheartedly, trusting in Christ for salvation as a wholehearted experience. And so walk in Him in the same way. Press in to the lives of others. But take the initiative to foster the sort of grace and peace kind of community that helps each other go about treasuring Christ. This is a new reality that you have been rescued to and you have been called to and that you get to share your life out with. I want to encourage you to do something with this. Consider these things. Dig into some of those suggestions that I gave you. Let me give you one more. Grab two others at some point in the couple of months ahead. Grab two others. If you're a guy, grab two other guys. If you're a lady, grab two other ladies. Commit to encourage one another to go about treasuring Christ together. And let me offer to you a a, a helpful guide on that. It's called Caring for One Another, 
Eight ways to cultivate meaningful relationships. So if this is something that seems so foreign to you, something that is like overwhelming to you, the prospect of doing this, this is a simple, straightforward, actually sweet, kind guide to go about cultivating the kind of relationships that live in the new reality of grace and peace. That will encourage you to be intentional in the lives of other people so that together you can go about treasuring Christ. I don't care how old you are. I see you young ones over there. Cultivate meaningful relationships. I see some of you gray heads up in here. Cultivate meaningful relationships. And I know every one of us in here is looking at me and thinking, it's September, dude. Do you have any idea like what this month is? It's chaos. Maybe you didn't say, dude, I still got like this like California stuff to like wash off. I have three copies of this. I'm going to give them away. If you're going to take that and run with it, find me when this service ends and I'll give you it. I don't want to give it to you so it gets dusty though. So you got to be honest with yourself. But you have a new reality. One of grace and peace in a new context, the church. And here at the beginning of this letter, we are encouraged to do this. We have much to treasure in Christ. God has given us a new purpose, a new identity, a new reality. And we are not left to ourselves. We are not left to our own devices. We are not left to chase after empty trinkets. We have Christ. We have the treasure. So let's go treasure him together. God, we thank you for your word and we pray we would find a home in our hearts. Your glory and to our good. Amen.